Hey everybody, uh, this is uh, Thomas Mariani and uh, Adam Thomas here, host of Devil H Devil Bill. We're going to start the show a bit differently here at the top, because we uh, just wanted to acknowledge that, you know, this episode's a few days late. We're releasing this episode the first week of June in 2020, um, after a lot of the protests against uh, police brutality have been going on, and uh, we've seen a lot of... Uh, horrible behavior that's been uh, cast upon these protesters and you know we're a very silly show we like to have fun on double edge double bill we just wanted to acknowledge that all this behavior is pretty heinous and awful it's happening toward these people who are standing up for their rights and the rights of others uh we stand with uh black lives matter and uh, we encourage any of you to go out there and um, show support in some way either donate if you can protest if you can or if nothing else just uh Stop and listen to black voices out there, and especially these uh, awful times. Uh, yeah, absolutely. But above all, just, you know, whether you're protesting or not, just try to stay safe. Protect yourselves, protect your loved ones, protect other protesters, do what you need to do. Just stay safe. And also, we we here at Double Edge Double Bill also want to say uh, happy Pride Month to all the LGBTQ uh, listeners and fans. Well, yeah, I mean, and especially, you know, those of color. And you got to remember that in our history, we've had, you know, times that might seem a bit more ruckus than you would wonder. And you figure, like, why are people doing this? But then you figure something like a stonewall happened. And you, and yeah, you, you gotta right, figure exactly. like that's what ended up starting a lot more gay rights movements actually happening. And, you know, some property might have gotten destroyed. But then again, we kind of agree that uh, it's more important to protect things you can't replace, like human lives, like black lives. Yes. And, and like I said, the LGBTQ movement where we both, uh, I think, fully support both movements. Yes. And uh, it's just a shame that right now, uh, you know, the focus is being taken off one for the other when they both should have permanent focus on both of them. Yes. And now on to our regularly scheduled program. You're listening to the ESO Network, your station for all things geek. Hello, please let me see your ticket subs for the Double Edge Double Bill. This week we head west, urn, for a blood rain-soaked tombstone. Each week, Adam Thomas and Thomas Mariani will come to the table to discuss the randomly selected yin and yang of a double feature. Then, both will have to pick a number between 1 and 10 in order to seal their fates for the next episode. One will have two good movies, the other two bad ones. Let the chaos begin. And I am Thomas Mariani, and I've got my luxurious mustache on. And I'm Adam Thomas, and there's gold in these hills. <laughs> Are you in your prospector dance right now, Adam? Cinnamon and biscuits. <laughs> I was like Gabby Hayes over here. Oh, who's this entering the podcast here? It's our guest, our Huckleberry, Mr. <laughs> Lance Langford of The Horror Returns and the Saddle Up podcast. Lance, 
how you doing moseying on here through the saloon oh man just uh appreciate you guys and in- invite me out here but obviously uh lance you're a uh, host on the saddle up podcast and we have obviously invited you on here for the westerns show uh where did that little western start for you i think we've been doing it for about a year now it's uh typically a every other week type of thing we're we actually kind of got a wild hair and ended up doing the Mandalorian there for about six episodes straight. We covered two episodes of the Mandalorian and then a wrap-up show, which we feel was very much a you know a futuristic or actually a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away type of western. That's true. Um, that really we felt did did really well with our show, and we just did an interview with uh, the uh, writer Joe Lansdale, so we kind of had our first uh, book club ever where we. Covered his book uh, Paradise Sky. Listen, so, wow. that's to, awesome. But you self-promoting yeah. schmuck. <laughs> we, <laughs> try to cover, we try to cover two westerns, or at least that's how we started. But lately, it's been nothing but Mandalorian talking books and uh, lots of lots of commentaries, uh, lots of drunken commentaries. I would say. Lance, how long have you liked westerns? Man, I remember being a kid. Um, when my dad was kind of raising us solo and my, my mom had left and got, gotten her own wild hair and hit the dusty trail. <laughs> and uh, for a couple of years there, we stayed with dad and he was a huge Westerns fan. He turned me on to um, lots of good old time Westerns that dad would watch, like mostly the black and white stuff. And I would kind of get into that and sort of forgot about it while I was more into sci-fi and my and fantasy in my high school and college years and as i get older quite a bit older i find myself coming back to it all the different ages of westerns but uh the more modern stuff that that you've got like a uh, hell or high water things like that that aren't technically westerns they're more like i guess pre- like neo-westerns yeah neo-westerns Th- that's what them fancy pants taps from the colleges would call it yep. <laughs> no i can't agree with you more lance in fact i, I i'm kind of the same way but on the opposite direction uh, my yep. dad, my dad went and hit the old dusty trails. So any, anytime I would see him, uh, he was really into westerns and like John Wayne and you know the Magnificent Seven and Charles Bronson movies and even the old Maverick show and Gunsmoke and Have Gun Will Travel and all those. So I used to watch all those with him, and, and the same exact thing happened. I got in more into the like the eighties, nineties action movies, which led into sci-fi which led into horror which led into all that and then now as i'm getting older yeah i'm falling right back into them and i mean if they're done right they're some of the best movies you can make and and obviously they've stood the test of time yeah well we're gonna definitely talk about one tonight that has right two of them if if you (laughs) yeah (laughs) clearly no no um well, I, I don't know. For me, it's interesting where um, my main exposure to Westerns was really my grandfather. Um, my dad liked Westerns, was never, like, one to, like, show me, like, all of them necessarily. Um, but he, my, my grandfather loved watching, like, the old John Wayne movies, as you mentioned, a lot of John Ford sort of era directed uh, Westerns. But I think that's what kind of deterred me a bit because I'm just like, oh, this is all old fuddy-duddy stuff. Um, whenever I gleamed onto a Western, it was something that was kind of like, oh, it has, like, a bit more of a glitz of, like, the genre stuff I liked, like, uh, there was a point when I was a youth where I'm like, oh, the best Western is Back to the Future 3. Clearly, everybody. Oh, okay. Um, but... <laughs> talking, like, Rhinestone Cowboy or something. Sure. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, I mean, even as I've grown older, honestly, I will say that I have myself drawn more to a bit of, like, the deconstructionist Westerns that came out, especially around the time of one of our movies, like, something like an Unforgiven, 
Or even, like, I would say the spaghetti westerns kind of have a bit of that, too. Mm. Where it's kind of more about, like, waning days of the cowboy turned into, like, you know, the modern era kind of creeping their face. Those tend to be my favorite type of westerns. Um, and we should mention, of course, this isn't our first western episode. Way back in the day. Episode 20. Jesus. Ow. Good lord. We we did um, a westerns episode where we talked about uh, Jonah Hex was our bad one. And our good Ooh. one. Uh, ended up being Hostiles. Yeah. And we always kind of said we weren't the biggest fan of that episode necessarily. And we always wanted to revisit Westerns at some point. Right. Because we didn't feel we quite did the genre justice here. Though I think we can say with our two picks that we picked at the end of our last episode here, um, of Blood Rain 2, Deliverance, uh, and <laughs> Tombstone, um, you think we had a better crop this time, Adam? I would definitely say so. There's definitely more of a sort of divisive line between the two of good and shit. And, you know, I, to be honest, I got a lot of problems with one of them, and I got a couple problems with the others. As far as good and bad, I, I think we sort of, uh, you know, hit the proverbial nail on the head, as it were. There's more to talk about necessarily with even our bad one uh, than it was last time. Well, yeah. Sure. yeah. Um, and so we'll go ahead and get into that now. Um, first, our bad pick of Blood Rain 2, The Deliverance. <laughs> You don't know what you're dealing with. And that's fair, because neither do they. Prepare the gallows! He's grown an army. You're a brimstone. That means something to you. Name's Rain. I've been tracking Billy clear from Cheyenne. You don't even need to feed on blood to heal yourself. You must be one old vampire. That's why we stand together. We fight together. And we die together. So, uh, Blood Rain 2 Deliverance uh, came out in 2007, released direct-to-video on September 18th, 2007. That's a and, big fucking shocker. Yeah, um, <laughs> and I guess the big thing that we can talk about here, outside of even the Western genre, is in our history of doing a good and a bad movie, um, this is the first example where we're talking about a film from Uwe Boll. Now, it's we should probably go into a bit of backstory, because... Uwe Boll was at one point sort of an infamous figure, especially in the internet community, and has kind of disappeared, rightfully so, um, yes. from the annals of uh, bad film history. Uh, Uwe Boll was, is a German director who basically was very, became very famous around like the early 2000s for making bad video game adaptations. Like House of the Dead was his introduction of sorts, and then you got like Alone in the Dark and The First Blood Rain, and he sort of became this infamous figure of bad movies because, um, at least from reputation, his movies are uh, quite terrible. I assume, Adam, have you seen others besides the, the Blood Rain series? Oh, yeah. I, I've seen... Well, the House of the Dead, I've seen its sequel. I've seen all three of the Blood Rains. I've seen Far Cry. I've seen Postal. I've seen Seed. I've seen the first Rampage. I didn't go any further than that. Oh, and I also saw Alone in the Dark. Fuck. Oh, but just, just, just out of sheer curiosity, like, who's giving this fucking asshole money? And, like, how is he getting the rights to these? Like, the thing is, House of the Dead is a very popular arcade game. Blood Rain was a big game when it first came out for PlayStation. It was huge. You know, just because you're a sexy vampire chick. It's basically Underworld before Underworld. And then you got, you know, all Postal was so controversial. Like, I remember the second one you could play as Gary Coleman for some fucking reason. But it's like, <laughs> and he gets the rights to these things and makes these dog shit movies 
Mm-hmm. But then he makes them, and now because they're made, then the license he owns a license for like ten years. So you're never going to get another movie. Because and plus he makes such a bad version, no one is going to be like, all right, let's make a good Blood Rain movie. Everyone's like, fuck that, we're not touching it. People aren't rushing to remake his stuff, are they? No, no one is. No one is. And I and the thing is, it's like, especially with like even Far Cry, like Far Cry Five. Far Cry 4, even. You, if they wanted to make that into a movie, you could have a hell of a good movie. Nobody's touching it. Nobody's, nobody's tried. No, and why would you? Because it's already been done once and it was cocked up so bad by this fucking egotistical monster where, I mean, this fucking guy, he gets bad critic reviews and they're like, I would have fucking fight everyone. And then boxes them and beats their asses and then you're supposed to respect him afterwards? No, you still produce shit. So what? You can throw a fucking hook. That doesn't mean you're awesome. And then he goes out and like calls out other filmmakers just like, oh, yeah. fucking Steven Spielberg or Michael Bay making their big bullshit. He's like, that makes you have like respect for Michael Bay, which is saying a lot. A thousand percent. Well, that might be pushed in. I don't know. <laughs> uh, I mean, Lance, have you, are you familiar with the uh, Uwe Bull oeuvre? Oh, absolutely. And and one one thing about Uwe Boll, say what you want about this guy, but he he does what he wants to do and and he does it his way and he he finds a way to get financing for this stuff. There's a a documentary called Fuck You All, the yep. Uwe Boll story, and that that tells you the whole thing. This dude was was so budget conscious that he was actually filming three films all at once. I think it was like the third Blood Rain film, something called Blubberella. And then like a, a a dark comedy about a concentration camp. And he doesn't care who he offends. He doesn't care if people see his movies or not. Because let's face it, most of them are failures when it comes to box office. I'm assuming he was just started out as a as a video game nerd. And that's probably why he, you know, kind of went that direction. Or I don't whatever. know if that's necessarily I, I the case. I, don't think I think it's true. Based on everything I've seen, he started out as like basically a guy who made like lower budget German movies. And I think he glommed on to, like, oh, I can make similarly low-budget movies but have a name attached to a popular video game like A House of the Dead. I wasn't even aware that this had been a video game until you guys brought that to my attention. Well, and not to mention, like, I think a big part of the infamy that came about with Uwe Ball was just that he kind of made the bad video game movies at the exact right time. Oh, and that was yeah. becoming more ubiquitous. Because before, you know, he kind of came about, you had, like, your Super Mario Brothers or your Double Dragon. But they weren't as ubiquitous as, like, around the beginning of a new decade. You had so many of those, especially made by bigger studios. Like, in between Uwe Boll movies, you had, like, Doom, or um, the Resident Evil movies that were coming out. And these were kind of considered, like, oh, these are the bottom of that particular low barrel, oh, necessarily. That's a low, that's a low low to be a bottom of. Right, and even then, like, I would argue there's a few Resident Evil movies I kind of like. Like, I would say the third one, where she's in okay. Vegas, and then the one where, I think it's the fifth one, where it's, like, reality is, like, kind of breaking down for her in this, like facade that's popping up the virtual reality like there's a yeah, few of those like that was actually kind of neat that was actually right. pretty well filmed there's a couple of those where i'm kind of having fun with them um but then right you know, and even like underworld also has that i would say even though those are terrible movies they kind of have a similar ilk a similar mm-hmm. audience to this some of those could at least be kind of fun this one just uh this really isn't i think it's what you're talking about where he was at least when he was still making movies a very sort of like consummate businessman if nothing else very gotcha. economic, sure. sort of like more of an asshole version of like a Roger Corman. You know, I'm not, I'm not convinced that his movies aren't funded by Nazi gold or something like that. No, no. <laughs> I think he's made that joke at some point, like several yeah, times. Exactly, just, uh, it's quite possible. Well, sound, well, like, I, sound like a joke he would make. Right. 
But um, for me, I actually hadn't seen a new Babel movie until the prep for this episode. I was always just kind of drawn away just because what I knew of Uwe Boll was like the reputation of his movies and also him just spouting out bullshit. Like that was, there was a salad days of the internet when that was the biggest problem everyone wanted to go against was Uwe Boll is a dick who makes terrible movies. But they were true. No, right. They they were true. And I think, but I think it's easily easy to say like that sort of legend kind of built up a lot more of like, oh, they're like infamously terrible, the worst of the worst possible movies whatsoever. And this week, you know, I was like, you know what, I haven't seen any of his movies. I might as well, since we're talking about Blood Rain 2, I watched okay. the original Blood Rain as well. Uh, just because they're both on Prime. Third one's on Prime too, baby. <laughs> oh, I gotta rush out. I gotta right after the recording. Um, but, you know, after just, like, watching both those movies, I just kind of realized, like, these are both ineptly made terrible movies, but they're also very bland and forgettable. Yeah, I agree. All, all about the hype, necessarily, it's just more about, like... Oh my god, he made like infamously terrible, like they'll sear into your brain, and then you watch him, and you're like, no. Alone in the Dark Might. Honestly, it's really bad. Tara Reid's a scientist. Um, I, I, I assume that's brilliant casting. Is that the one that had Christian Slater in it, or am I yeah, thinking Yeah, that's the one. Jesus. Yeah, now that one was almost <laughs> so bad, it's good. Most of these others are just kind of like, you, you just can't wait for them to end, you know? Yeah, they're just kind of really boring. And I mean, it, it, with Blood Rain 2, we should probably, many of you who aren't aware, like, wait, that one, like, 18th century vampire thing had a sequel that took place in the Old West. Yes, that's what Blood yeah, Rain sure. 2 Makes sense. Um, is about, yes. Um, in which we have Rain, um, as played this time by Natasia Mouth, uh, as opposed to, in the original, it was Kristana Loken, who said, oh, I have other commitments, which I'm sure she did, but also was just like, I don't want to be involved again. <laughs> yeah, no, I don't blame her. No, not necessarily. Um, and she ends up in the Wild Wild West, um, where she has to face off against Billy the Kid, who has a European accent. He's got it 75% of the time. Aye, aye, aye. Right. Um, as played by Zach Ward, who you might recognize as Scott Farkas from A Christmas Story, um, before he became uh, this adult actor who appeared in New Vable movies and other things. Um, he was uh, the brother who committed suicide in Freddy vs. Jason. He's the guy in yep. the, the bathtub. Um, alongside Brendan Fletcher, who's also in this movie and a bunch of New Vable movies, from what I understand. And, uh, yeah, it's sort of like a... It's a showdown between um, the gunslinging Dompier of uh, oh. Rain, who is like half human, half vampire, oh. versus Billy the Kid, who is a full-on vampire. Um, well, that's about it. <laughs> that's the thing. And it's just, you know, I'm not necessarily against especially genre mashing when you're doing a Western. That could be no. interesting. I've seen great Western horror movies. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, we, we talked about Bone Tomahawk. That's a great right. example. True. The Burrowers, great movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, Dead Birds, decent. I mean, there's a lot of decent Western horror movies. Uh, this is not one of them. Uh, okay, first of all, I actually prefer Natasha Mouth over Christina Loken because at least Natasha Mouth is trying more. Yeah. Okay. You, you and, feel like she's at least like a bit more hungry because this is like oh sorry, right. like, oh shit, I'm the title role, right? Yeah, 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 and she's she's kind of clenching into it, even if she doesn't have the talent necessarily, she has more of the chutzpah. Yes, yes. Then uh, yes. Christina Loken, especially, to be fair, she also had to deal with a movie where she has maybe one of the most upsetting sex scenes I've ever seen. Yeah, it's really bad. 
she has a really weird sex scene where it's just like in this awkward prison dungeon set up and she's having sex with this guy and she like bears her breasts and everything. I'm just like, no, it's just sad. Well, it's really weird. Is it? It's just, it's really yeah, weird it's and sad. really weird. Like, it's just, it's gross. And you're just like, uh, do, you, do you want to keep doing this? Especially as like your co-lead is like banging open the fucking like dungeon door and shit, the, the jail <laughs> cell door awkwardly. It's really Yeah, the, sh- the shitty boyfriend from Legally Blonde. That's yes. Yes. And that's good. Back to Blood Rain 2. Uh, this movie had a $10 million budget. Wow. That's, is that Uwe's cocaine budget or what? Fucking where was that $10 million no on the screen? It is nowhere on the screen. Well, Michael Paré was in it. He must demand at least 15000 yeah, best. He wants a Cuban sandwich in his car note paid. Right, but, <laughs> but I mean, that's even the case, though, with, like, the original Blood Rain has, like, I believe a $25 million budget, and that's you can't ben see Kingsley, that on that screen. Ben Kingsley's money. Well, Billy Zane. Oh, yeah, it had, it had a lot of big stars in it, right? That have You had to pay somebody, sorry. like, stand up Michael Madsen at points. Like, you had to right, pay exactly. several PAs to get him to stand yeah. up. But with the Blood Rain 2, I would honestly say I slightly prefer it to the original. If nothing else, for one, it's not as many bored, like, famous actors. Like, that okay. movie is just, like, full of really bored famous actors. As opposed to here, it's like, even like a Zach Ward, like, at least feels like he's trying, even though it's terrible. To the point where I would even say my favorite part of this movie um, is Michael Eklund, who pops up as the preacher, who has a standout scene when he's introduced, where he has a giant ranting and raving in front of all these people in front of his church, that's at least, like, a point where I'm waking up. It's just like, oh, God, what? Something? Yeah, well, that made that made one of us. <laughs> I mean, for... No, I, I don't, well, and hold on, Lance hasn't had actually much of a chance to speak. Well, what was your thoughts on Blood Rain 2, Lance? You clearly love it. Oh, I was trying to figure out, you know, why, why the fuck you guys picked this movie. I mean, I know you guys always pick a good movie and a bad movie, but I'm going to be honest with you, about half the time I listen to your podcast... I kind of like the bad movie. Either I actually honestly legitimately like it, or you guys pick something that is so fucking atrociously humorous and hilarious to watch that it's that it's fun. You know, kind of like Fanatic level or something like that, or a Hulk Hogan movie. But for fuck's sake, guys, I mean, I take, I take Xanax to help me get to sleep at night. I'm trying to cut <laughs> down. This helped a lot. There you go. I mean, holy shit. I didn't even need to take a, a, a quarter of a pill for this, you know? It's just a straight-up blade ripoff. I mean, that's all it was. It was just taking money, I guess, from the people who love the Blood Rain, you know, uh, game and people who love the Blade comic book or Wesley Snipes in the movie. But I'm trying to I'm still trying to figure out the Eastern European Billy the Kid. How the fuck did that happen? You said it best. We we pick bad movies. They're not all winners. You know what I mean? Yo, no, this is this is just a boring thing. It's boring. That's the thing. It's boring. It is. The, yeah. and, and the camera work is so bad. There's there's a lot of the shaky cam. A lot of it, shaky cam, but it also looks like a lot of like where he handed a, a fucking handheld to an extra and had him film it, it from really like bad. across the street. Like it's really bad. Well, I mean, right from um, the opening bit where we have like the family inside their house, and it looks like oh. um, it looks like the outtakes from like a Bourne movie where Paul Greengrass yeah. would be like, "No, too shaky stuff." We can't present this in a It's really stupid. This whole movie, you know what the thing is? I'm not against the idea of the movie. I think there's a cool idea in there. Vampires in the Wild Wild West. Billy the Kid is a vampire. Sure, fuck it. Why not? Cool. <laughs> okay. Well, why not? It could be something fun. Uh-huh. This is just awful. Like... I agree that the first one is worse, 
Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think it's worse because you see like Michelle Rodriguez and Ben Kingsley and Billy Zane and all these other actors at this level that they obviously don't give a fuck. So that makes it yeah, harder to watch. Yeah, it makes it almost harder to watch. Where in this one, you do get like, I, I will agree that uh, Eklund, he's given it an 11 out of 10. Yeah. But he's going. And this guy is, he, I mean, he's popped up in a lot of fucking genre films. And he's decent. He's not great, but at least you can rely on him to fucking give it his all. He's trying. Like, and, the, uh, like I, the only scene I would like advise anyone to see of either of these movies is his preacher scene. Or just going off on a mad tear. Like, that's on YouTube. Yeah. That's the only thing I'd recommend you watch of this movie, is that particular bit where he's just going but, fucking nuts, and then he has, like, the weird smile. That's so fucking funny. Even then, <laughs> with watching that preacher scene, you have to take it into context, though, to where it's that's the most exciting thing in a terrible film. Yeah. Like, if you watch it without that context, you're going to be like, why the fuck am I watching this? This is awful. So you have to put it in context where everybody else is sleepwalking through the film. They introduce these characters like the the guy in the uh, in the brothel that she straddles and they recruit. And you're supposed to care about him. Like, I don't care. They give him no character development. No. Whatsoever. Like, you do not give a flying fuck. Even Michael Paré. Do they even say that he's Pat Garrett? I don't think they do. I think they call him Pat. <laughs> like, I think it's about That's it. it. Hey, Pat. He's supposed to, he's supposed to be Pat Garrett. History. You hunted down Billy the Kid. <laughs> Hello, I'm Michael Paré, clearly uh, from the Old West. Weirdly, the person I have the most interest in kind of quote-unquote developing at all is the awful Chris Coppola character of Newton mm-hmm. Piles, who's the guy that comes up and is just like, I'm a reporter here, and I can't wait to report oh, on things and tell guy. my stories. Um, I've seen Nic- before in something. Right, Nicholas Cage's brother. Yep, that's Nick Cage's no kid, brother. No kidding, yeah. I had no idea. Yeah, he's part of the Coppola family, so he works a lot, even though uh, he doesn't necessarily <laughs> deserve it. Um, but, but they have weirdly more interest in like giving him some kind of an arc where he's just like, oh, I'm a cowardly guy. And then I do something at the end. Now I'm sheriff after the other sheriff dies. Oh, (laughs) some of these like emotion baiting scenes last for fucking ever in this movie. Like we got to go out there. We got to go out there. Are we going out there? The sheriff went out there. We got to go too. I'm going out there. Oh my God. I'm coming back in. Y'all need to go out there too. And then it's like that. And then the fucking scene with the preacher and the dude from the brothel, like, throw down your gun belts. <laughs> it lasts for like 10 minutes. Oh, I mean, there's a lot of padding in this movie in terms of trying to get oh it to like whatever length they God. could. And it's only even... like an hour and a half, so that's saying Not a even. lot. It's over an hour and a half with like the eight minute long credits, which also blood drained the original half. Oh they both oh, have yeah. that where it's like super long end credits. And then also, even in this one, you have like the whole sequence where um, Rain initially is like riding her horse around, and it's initially, by the way, looking like it's the middle of the summer. And then she goes suddenly off to a corner and it's suddenly snowing, and she has to discover yep. the bodies, and she's like, scenes we don't need necessarily oh, to be as long as And the fucking score. Yeah. yeah. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> it's the most cliche western music i've ever heard <laughs> like it's it, it's like maybe a step above like oregon trail music mm-hmm. oh no <laughs> and, and they okay. open the movie with these sepia toned freeze frames oh that was terrible that oh, nothing to that. do with the movie oh, oh. The slow motion oh. and then once he's drawn the gun and he's holstering it again he's still going in fucking slow motion <laughs> I've oh, never seen that before. It's ever. so bad. And, and, and there's all these weird questions also that pop up because of, like, they clearly don't give a shit about any of the continuity that's going on. Like, at the end, 
Billy the Kid is mostly murdered by that Gatling gun that's there, even though it's like, wait, that's a gun that he implemented, that he, like, set up, so he put in right. bullets that could harm him. Like, yeah, put in silver bullets? Guns. Why the fuck would he do that? <laughs> <laughs> and I love, you know, the movie ends on a fucking dick joke, dude. Oh, <laughs> God, man, what a terrible joke. Where's the rain heading at him at the end of the movie? <laughs> I, I I don't even remember. She I says she's no going to Tombstone. Oh no! Oh <laughs> fucking hell! <laughs> but I mean, I'm at least glad that we picked this, if nothing else, just because we can kind of demystify the Uwe Boll thing. Like we didn't yeah, even mention basically, other... Uwe Boll doesn't make movies anymore. Like he hasn't made a movie since I believe it's the third Rampage in 2016. He said like I can't get financing for movies anymore. So he became a restaurateur in Germany. Will he really not? Come on, Thomas. You know better than that. It's been four years since he's made a movie. Usually he would have made, like, at least ten more movies by now. Ten, yeah, ten by now, right? <laughs> right, yeah. I mean, there was all those petitions to try and get him to retire or whatever. But at this point, he's just like, he, it feels like he's at least moved on, which I'm glad to see him do for the sake oh. of himself in cinema. But yeah, I think it's, it's good to kind of demystify him just because, like I said, he was like such a big fucking issue on the internet that people kept bringing up a whole like, worse sure. movie. It was like him and like the guys who made like those epic movie, like Friedberg and oh. Seltzer. It was like those two were like, oh, public enemy number one. And then now both of them have dissipated. No one gives a shit. Like they yeah. live completely as as they should be because it's just like right, these movies so. aren't even they're not bad enough even to like praise as like a, like an Ed Wood level with an Ed Wood movie there's like charm or with any of these other like really sure. some of the bad ones we've talked about on the show previously that Lance has kind of mentioned well because they care about it right well yeah like they the, can, the canon all the canon stuff you guys have talked about like I can't wait right. to go out I, I listened to you guys talk about a couple of canon movies and like the very next thing is I'm going on Amazon Prime to queue them up you know oh yeah. This is the antithesis of what we kind of love about, like, especially like a foreign director trying to kind of sure. make their American movie. Um, this is the antithesis where Uwe Boll is just like, I know what they want. I don't give a shit. I'm just going to shovel this to them. And even if it fails, I have enough fail safes in terms of like pre-selling the movie where it's not going to matter. It feels a lot more His cold and calculated. Biographical documentary was called Fuck You All after all. That that wasn't a mistake, I don't think. No, it feels like there's a lot more anger and menace <laughs> as opposed to anything kind of unpredictably charming yeah. of sorts yeah he's also kind of um what one of those circus type guys you know what i mean like he just creates drama just so he can hopefully benefit from it but i think it's it's kind of backfired him on him over time you know as people yeah. realize he has no talent right yeah i mean i guess we can move into final thoughts then on blood rain too so lance blood rain 2 it's better than xanax Put that on the Blu-ray. The 15th anniversary Blu-ray that I'm sure is coming out for Blood Rain 2. <laughs> you got, you no, got I, that on there. I just don't have much to say, man. Trying to pick a bad movie. You you hit it out of the park this week. Because th this is one I wouldn't listen to you talking about and have any desire to go see it. So, <laughs> Unless you I were guess, in, you know, <laughs> ring endorsement for our episode, Lance. Thank you so much. <laughs> yeah. Well, no, usually, I'm, I'm telling you, man. Usually when you guys cover the two movies, the bad one is the one I, I kind of rush out to see. This one, not so much. Yeah, this goes in more of the pile of some of the ones that are just kind of like forgettable bad. Like, uh, speaking of a video game adaptation, like uh, Street Fighter Legend of Chun-Li. If it's firmly in that camp where, like, I, I watched this movie, it, you know, it's almost going on a week for, ago, and I'm barely remembering much of anything about it. Um, mm -hmm. And, it, like, there's, right. there's a few of those that we definitely fit into our camp. Um, and, I mean, with Western, it's also, like, I had this experience last time when I had, like, the bad picks. It's kind of hard to pick, like, a bad Western that's at least kind of memorable. 
because it feels like westerns were so omnipresent at the time of like you know mm-hmm. the 50s and 60s that like there's just like they're kind of disposable it feels like the more generic versions of bad we get with like superhero movies now or any other like bigger yeah. like fads that you have the ones that don't really last that don't last for a reason and I think this is definitely a, a big example of that, where even sort of the infamy you could have with, like, a new Bay Bowl doesn't really sustain it whatsoever. And aside from, like, a Michael Eklund, and I can say any of the actors here are at least kind of trying, despite how untalented they may be. Um, you know, we even mentioned, like, probably the only other recognizable person in this is the little girl Jodel Furland, who you might recognize from, like, Cabin in the Woods and Silent Hill, the original. She's the one that gets bitten by Billy the Kid and dies first. The first victim. No kidding. No, yeah. I had no idea. I she's had a, no idea. She's a little character actress I've seen in like a few things. Um, and uh, yeah, she's even kind of trying, even though she weirdly, really, I guess, putting her contract at like seven. Like, I don't want to be in this much longer than like 20 minutes. You can like have to tell yeah. my agent I'm going to be out. <laughs> um, though I do also love the bit where um, her, one of the few things I can remember is the bit where her mother comes over to her sister after everything's solved. And she's just like, oh, Sally didn't make it, mommy. I know. <laughs> like she's accepted that her daughter's dead it's fine there are not a lot of silly fun moments like necessarily in this movie at all it's really just kind of a bore so adam your final thoughts on blood rain it's an awful movie it's a bore it, it, it's got a budget which i don't see any of it on the fucking screen and now your final thoughts on blood rain too deliverance <laughs> <laughs> it's an awful movie it's boring it, it, it's got a budget which i don't see any of it on the fucking screen and now your thoughts on every available movie <laughs> It's a shitty movie. It's boring. <laughs> it's got a huge budget. You don't see any of it on the fucking screen. Okay. You got stars, uh, at least in the originals, not so much in this one, that lower themselves to be in these fucking movies, like one we forgot to mention, In the Name of the King, starring Jason Statham. Oh, yeah. Fucking hell. Yeah. But no, it's just it's a boring, boring movie. It's not. It, it's definitely not in the pantheon of the so bad it's good. It's just a bore fest. It's bad. The action's not even well choreographed. It doesn't look good. It's not filmed well. And uh, it's just terrible. It's a terrible, terrible film. There you go. You heard it here. Yep, and now we can close the book on ever doing an Uwe Ball movie. I think we can firmly say, like, that was something we had to cross at some point. It's a bridge we had to get across, and it's like, okay, here it is. We did it, and I don't think we ever need to do it again. (laughs) Unless we are in dire circumstance for a choice, <laughs> I never want to cover an Uvi Bowl movie again. It, it's going to be like a in-case break glass kind of thing. Break yes. glass. But let's get to one of the good movie, our good movie in a second here. But first, here's an ad for an ESO show you can queue up right after ours. I'm Drew Leiter. And I'm Cletus Jacobs. And we're here on the station surviving the coronavirus. Since you guys are probably quarantined there down on Earth, we'll let you know uh, we got... DC news, comics, television shows we're going to be talking about every week. Come join us every week on the Earth Station DCU podcast here on the ESO Network. So now we're getting to our rootin' tootin' good feature, Tombstone. They say every town has a story. Tombstone has a legend. Kurt Russell, Val Kilmer, Bill Paxton, Sam Elliott. You tell them I'm coming, and hell's coming with me! Justice is coming to Tombstone. 
So, Tombstone came out in 1993, December 25th, 1993, the big Christmas release. Uh, directed by uh, George P. Cosmatos, written by Kevin Girard, which is um, kind of interesting given the weird production history of this movie. Um, because if you don't know, George P. Cosmatos was not the original director, it was the screenwriter Kevin Girard. Um, and he uh, ended up directing only about a week's worth of the movie. Apparently all the stuff that's on like, the ranch at Charlton Heston's place. He directed, and then everyone was like, oh, you have, like, you're falling behind on the schedule, and you seem kind of nervous, and we're not going to really trust you. So we're going to get in the guy who directed movies like Cobra and Rambo yes. Part Two: First Blood. <laughs> yes! <laughs> uh, to, to come in and direct this uh, big-scale Western movie. And you can kind of feel, like, some of the production stuff. I will say I quite, I enjoy Tombstone quite a bit, but you can feel it kind of has rougher edges in a way that's kind of like it's pieced together just well enough to work. I don't know that I agree with that. I, I think there's one specific sort of subplot that doesn't fit and doesn't work. But I think other than the than the one thing, I, th- I think it all gels together pretty well. Yeah, and I'll go so far as to agree wholeheartedly. I, th- I think this is a masterpiece, and I think a lot of it is is homage to some Westerns in the past. But we can talk about that later. Well, no, I, I think I'll, I'll amend my comments slightly just to say I think it's a miracle it works as well as it does necessarily considering that. But I can see some of the seams. I think especially there's a certain point after I think the first half of this movie is incredible. I think the first half of this movie is like a flawless, awesome Western. And I think after that, it's a really fun Western. But I would say it kind of dips more into like sort of the fare that you would tell me like, oh, this is directed by the guy who did Cobra. That makes a mm-hmm. bit more sense. It's like the best version of that. <laughs> but it still it feels a bit like that, necessarily. But we'll, we'll get into it. So, this is a story of uh, Wyatt Earp and the Earp brothers, as well as the compatriot of uh, Val Kilmer as Doc Holliday, um, and how they kind of came to Tombstone. And, you know, initially the Earps were trying to, like, kind of live a new life, didn't want to be attached to, you know, it's a, that classic story, you know, speaking of, like, a Rambo, of just like, I just want to live a normal life. But then the, <laughs> sure. the cowboys, the evil group of uh, bandits come in and just uh, disrupt all their attempts to have a quiet life in Tombstone, and uh, they start uh, bringing up the law in the middle of it. Um, And, you know, it goes from there. And this was obviously, like, a big cable staple of the time. Uh, Like, this was on, like, you know, TNT, TBS, throughout, like, the mid to late 90s, all over the place. And I thought I'd seen this movie before, honestly, but I realized I don't think I'd seen it the whole way through until this particular watch. What? <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, I, I, that is the case, I believe. Um, but why don't we hear a bit more from, uh, you know what, how about our guest, Lance? Uh, you, you, you're saying you uh, think it's quite a masterpiece, do you? probably seen this movie a dozen times, and every, every time I see it, I see something different that I didn't catch the time before. This most recent viewing, because I, I actually own the movie, so I watch it probably at least once a year, but... This particular viewing, um, when you guys told me we were going to be covering it for the movie, I tried to watch it with kind of fresh eyes, like as if I hadn't seen it before or as if I wanted to bring something new to the table. And one thing that I really noticed this time was uh, Cosmatos or whoever was responsible for the majority of the direction. I mean, what an homage to the old classic 1950s Western. Just about any scene in this movie, you could you could make a black and white version of it and you would swear that you're watching like one of those old ones, like the man who shot Liberty Valance or one of the older uh, John Wayne movies or, or something from the really, really early times of Westerns. Like it's definitely one of the most quotable movies in film history. 
not just Western, but movies in general. I mean, there's probably at least a couple of dozen T-shirts that has each each T-shirt has a quote from this film in it. Most of which are probably from Doc Holliday, um, because uh, the screenwriter gave him a lot of great stuff to chew on. But and he chew chew he did for sure. You've actually got Kurt Russell kind of finally being this cowboy that he's going to pop up again as five, six, seven more times in the future already well well, and even before this like in any of the john carpenter movies he's basically being a cowboy like snake plissken is basically like a man with no name kind of figure you know what that's a that's a great point man and it's just a murderer's row of talent oh good lord this cast is like you just pop it like oh it's everybody everyone's here (laughs) well and it and it focuses more obviously on the male characters as you would expect you know from a western or from a you know military movie or something like that but the acid test for me is always if, if my wife watches a movie with me like this, kind of a boys club type movie, and she loves it, that's that's always a good sign. And let, let's face facts, a lot of the female characters in here weren't really the strongest characters, and they definitely focus more on the men. So from that perspective, it is, you know, again, kind of a boys club movie, but fuck, I enjoy it. Like, every time I see it, I get something new out of it, and I just really love the way that, that they, they really paid homage, and I don't think they ripped off, like Blood Rain ripped off Blade, for example. Um, they, they just paid, played beautiful homage to the old 1950s classic westerns, and it was just kind of a, a return to basics. There have been some pretty good westerns in the 80s and 90s, but I don't know. To me, this one just kind of like is the gold standard moving forward, and I think all westerns could be judged against this movie. Well, yeah, it feels especially like that that kind of return you're talking about. It feels like it's definitely moving nostalgic for that particular era of Western. Because obviously the, the sort of history of the Western genre is around in like the 40s to 50s. It became like a big boom of a genre. It became such a huge thing. It was ubiquitous for like every other week there was a new Western that was coming out to some degree. And then that dissipated after probably like the Sergio Leone movies in the like late 60s kind of like were the last note of that. And Hollywood kind of steered away from it, especially with some infamous bombs like Paint Your Wagon and shit like that <laughs> kind of killed it for at least a solid couple of decades and this feels kind of like a weird start this and like Unforgiven kind of started off a weird trend of like a lot of yes. sort of like uh, 90s westerns which is a lot more ubiquitous than you would think because there's like this and Unforgiven like I mentioned or Quick and the Dead yeah. or like a bunch of others um, Unfor- Unforgiven was an Academy Award winner yeah Best Picture winner yeah very very popular very beloved film um, but, but how about, uh, you, Adam, how do you feel necessarily about Tombstone? Maybe what's that element you're talking about that doesn't quite work for you? I can't stand the love story with Wyatt Earp and, uh, Dan Delaney. Oh, no. come on. Oh, dude. Fucking... You gotta have that in there, man. Come no, on. I, I, no, you don't. It feels so forced and so Hollywood to the point where when they're fucking having a picnic in this beautifully lit sunny meadow, even their fucking horses are nuzzling. I mean, what the <laughs> fuck is happening here? I don't it's believe the chemistry between him and Dan Delaney at all. I can play at all. Agree. At no. all. At all. Uh, but other than that, I mean, Tombstone to me was the last of the three major examples of fucking Hollywood popcorn westerns. You know, you had Magnificent Seven, you had Silverado, and then you had Tombstone. Don't get me wrong. I absolutely love Tombstone. I don't think we've ever seen a better Val Kilmer. I don't think we've seen a better Powers Booth. Like Lance said, the cast in this movie is just top notch. But it's very, very Hollywood. It, it, I mean, there are scenes in it that are so dude bro fucking action movies like the no, no, <laughs> no. 
oh my god, he shot Gorilla Bill! Like, it's so stupid. But it doesn't matter because it fits with the tone of the movie. In comparison, you saw the serious version of this with Costner's Wyatt Earp, and it sucked. It was a bore fest. I mean, of course, it's Kevin Costner, but still. What? Kevin Costner yeah. boring? Never. Yeah. I know, I know, I know. I take. But, um... No, I, I absolutely love Tombstone, man. I, I love everything about it. I love their sleek black coats and how clean everybody looks. I love that Ike is fucking Quartridge from Avatar. Like, that's mind-blowing every time I see it, that Ike is fucking Colonel Quartridge. Like, what is happening? Well, it's also weird considering that Stephen Lang is much more versatile than you would imagine, considering he was oh, also the 100%. guy who played, like, the sleazy curly-head um, journalist in Manhunter. Like you can yeah. never tell me they're the same guy. Whatsoever. Absolutely not. Absolutely yeah. not. Uh, but he's great in it as fucking Ike. You know, Sam Sam Elliott's always a good one. Dude, Paxson is so delightfully over the top in this movie, too. And Wyatt gets a really bad deal in this. Like he's like, Mork, he doesn't want to talk right now, Wyatt. Like, leave him the fuck alone. He's the one who decided to become a fucking sheriff. No shit. That, Wyatt that didn't want to do thing. it. You motherfucker! You leave him alone. <laughs> yeah, you wanted nothing to do with this. You wanted to start a fucking whorehouse or a ranch or something, you what know? Yeah, or be an insurance salesman. Same thing. Same thing. But uh, all three the same. From the opening of this movie, even as a kid, with uh, Powers Booth and his whole monologue, you know, I'm what you call the founder of the feast. The next time we come, y'all better step aside. And he looks dead ass in the camera. And I ain't kidding either. I knew right then, I'm like, oh, they're trying something with this fucking movie. Like, this is a movie. And I fucking loved it. And I, I, I still love this movie. Like, I absolutely do. And and the gripes I have with it, honestly, they don't matter. It's still a really fun movie. Val Kilmer, Jesus. Mm-hmm. Too bad he's such a dick. Because yeah. he's so good in this movie. And like I said, it, it's my favorite Powers Booth performance ever. He's so good. And, and Michael Bean is so delightfully over the top and hammy. Like, he, all right, longer. Like, stop it, Michael Bean. <laughs> and it's it's one of the first really fun Billy Bob Thornton performances. Like, I love that whole scene. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I love, oh, I love Billy Bob Thornton. But that's another thing, too, that I was going to say about the dialogue. It's so over the top where it's like, oh, this is what cowboys talk like. Like, the Billy Bob Thornton scene. Go ahead, skin it. Skin that smoke wagon. <laughs> Come on. Like, that's what they said. Horse shit. Like, you know what I mean? Bullshit. But whatever. It's very romanticized in an interesting way. I think that that's the big thing I can say. It's super romanticized in a way that, like, I, I think in the first half it kind of plays more like a John Ford thing, like you're mentioning, like the older John Wayne westerns to a certain degree. And I think my kind of problem is that, like, it tonal shifts into more, like, weird Sam Peckinpah territory. Like, yeah. the two flavors I like, I just think it suddenly shifts there, especially, there are these weird montages that happen that feel like, oh, we're really showing, like, the elapse of time as they destroy the cowboys, but they feel very weirdly rushed. <laughs> that was that was okay for me, though, man. Yeah, I, I, did I, I thought, I really liked the way they melded all that together. I really enjoyed it. I, I just think, I think, like, both halves of that movie are fun. I just think it turns, like, a very 180-degree angle kind of thing in terms sure. of what kind of Western sure. being. In a way that I still like, I, I still think there's, like, even the nose scene that you're talking about, I think it's a lot of fun. To go a bit more into Val Kilmer, I agree that I think he's so phenomenal, especially because he's playing the Doc Holliday character with a great mixture of vulnerability 
and also genuine yes. like badass toughness in a way that you don't really get from I think any of the other characters necessarily. Like even I love Kurt Russell, but Wyatt Earp is very much stone faced. Kind of like the the whole bit, even though I think it's a fun scene. A bit that kind of like marks the transition point, I think, in the two halves of the movie when he's at the train station. He's like, "You tell him I'm coming, and Hell's coming with me." It's so awesome! It's <laughs> so awesome! It. And the it's lightning so strike, awesome. which apparently was not planned, like that just apparently happened on the day. Yes, dope, perfect. God was answering to Kurt Russell, like, "Oh fuck, I gotta do something. I can't. I gotta follow that up." <laughs> I know. Let's have a spelling contest. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's perfect. Well, and even how, how how so much it clearly looks like, oh, you feel like he's dying, like, the whole Well, movie. he looks like shit. He looks yeah. like such shit, and he's, like, always constantly sweating, but he's still that intimidating, like, particularly, and that's we talked about, like, the famous line of, I'll be your Huckleberry. It just feels like, oh, no, yeah, he, he's uh, about to kill somebody. He's about to show somebody what for. My fight ain't with you longer. On the contrary, you started a game. A game for blood, if I remember. Yes. Like, yeah, dude. Fuck yeah. Get his ass. And then he fucking plugs him in the head. And even as a kid, I'm like, oh my god, he's so tough. Because after he shoots him in the head, he's like, come on, Johnny. Come on. You ain't no Daisy. And just fucking Mike, Michael Bean is doing that such... <laughs> <laughs> right, once again, a moment that feels like it could be out of, like, Cobra... Like the, like the weird gore that's going on. It's so great. It's perfect. It's absolutely perfect. Uh, and uh, big ups to Thomas Hayden Church out of nowhere in this movie as well. Yeah. Very fun. Especially that, that one bit. I love the bit we are talking about. Just like, oh, you're so drunk. You're seeing double. I got two pistols for both of you. Yeah. <laughs> you know, old dog Trey. That's my favorite saga. Old dog Trey. <laughs> it's so good. No, you know, the thing is, this, like I said, this is a Hollywood action movie. Set in cowboy times. It truly is. And, there you go. But it's done so well. And every actor in it, whether you like him or not, or the chemistry and stuff, like we said with Dana Delaney and, and fucking uh, Kurt Russell and how much Bill Paxton and Michael Bean are hamming it up, but they're all giving it their all. It's a it's a great example of there are no small parts necessarily in this movie. I agree. Particularly, I believe, is it Jason Priestley who plays the guy that um, is like the wormy dude? Who has in the, love like, with Billy oh yeah, I I love that whole thing. I think that's such a great. It's one of the weird moments where I would say this movie's actually subtle, which I don't say much about much of this movie. But the bit where like Billy uh-huh. Zane has been killed and Jason Priest just touches his hand and then leaves yep. the Cowboys, like just says everything. I think it's such an incredible little bit of acting. Oh, the scene where they're watching Faust, and it's one of my favorite lines ever. Is like I take that deal, go cross, and drill that old devil in the yep. ass. <laughs> <laughs> What about you? What about you, Johnny? I already did it. Like, oh, sure he did. He's so tough. And the disdain that's on Billy Zane's face at the same time as he's delivering like this Shakespearean sonnet up there. And then even also has that that great bit from uh, Jason Priestley, where he's just like, "What do you think of him?" He's like, "I think he's wonderful." But I love after Billy Zane delivers the fucking you know on St. Christmas Day. And they all stand up and shoot their guns. That's fucking great! Like, <laughs> yeah. It's so awesome. It's so good. But, dude, I, I really want to get back into fucking, uh, you know, Cortridge, Stephen Lang. He's such a slimeball worm in this movie. Mm-hmm. Ike is such a piece of shit. Like, you know, at, dude, yeah, that's for Lotto. Lotto don't go around here. I'll cut your goddamn pimp's heart out. You're like, you motherfucker. And all he does is just give up constantly. I wanted them to kill Ike so bad, and they never did. 
No. What I like is they give him the sort of indignity of being the messenger boy. Yeah. Um, by having like like hit with the spray. I think he that's takes why I think that sash at the end, right. and they're like, okay, let him live. I think that's why I prefer the first half of the movie necessarily because I think it builds up a more interesting kind of like dynamic between the Earps and the Cowboys. I think there's so much more of like a fun back and forth between like this actual like these villains you love to hate and these guys who are good to a fault. Like even to the point where like they open the movie where the herbs are coming off the train, just like, everybody, let's just look and pose in this picture in front of the mirror. <laughs> let's just all look at how great we are and how wonderful our life's going to be in Tombstone. <laughs> and then immediately just goes into, like, this, like, back-and-forth rivalry that they have and how they're actually trying to kind of build a better community for Tombstone how that completely self-destructs after a certain point. I think, honestly, the movie loses something when you lose both Bill Paxton and Sam Elliott. I think it loses something, like, that kind of brotherly companionship. Well, it just shifts into a completely different movie. It goes from a family movie to a like, completely straight-up action revenge movie. Hollywood the whole way, right? Yeah, I, I yeah, I really think so. And it, But I do agree with you, Thomas. It is almost a little jarring uh, about the halfway point once Virgil leaves on the train and everything. It does become a completely different film. But I don't think it becomes a lesser film. It shifts in tone, but I think it complements the tone of the first half perfectly. I would 99% agree with you. And I just have a trouble if it ends on a wet fart of a moment. I and, really oh, dislike that oh, last scene of the movie. At, le- at least it didn't end on a penis so joke, you know? Well, no, that's it true. It, but, it, but, the, but it just has a problem. Like, it has the perfect ending with, like, you know, Wyatt Earp's last scene with Doc Holliday. That should have really sure. been the last scene of that movie. Yeah, I, I think agree. it's such an incredible, like, back and forth between those two characters. And then I think just, I haven't talked much about the Dane Delaney thing, but I, I, what I really dislike about it is that it turns, especially like uh, Wyatt's wife, into so much more of like a stereotypical shrewish character. Oh, In a way sure. where it's like, yeah. I, I do agree that I think the, you know, we don't necessarily like focus on the wife characters in these movies, but also we don't have to turn them into like the most over the top unlikable characters either. I think it's yeah, like she's a dick, it's a laudanum or whatever, yeah. which she probably, she probably really was, who knows? Right, <laughs> but 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 that scene in the rain, which is very Hollywood, mm-hmm. oh, he's yeah, covered he's covered in uh, Morgan's blood. Daniel Delaney comes out and he's like, "No, don't you see? Get away from me!" <laughs> and then he turns around, and his fiance is right there, and she's like, "God damn you!" And runs away. Mm-hmm, and runs like, away. You're like, get the fuck out of here with this! Like, it's so stupid. But that's the thing. The women characters in this movie were nothing more but placeholders. Dan Delaney's whole point was just to be a love interest for a while. Sure. That's it. I'd argue at that point, if you're going to give the characters nothing to do, then why include them anyways? I think especially with the Dan Delaney character. I think that yeah. that whole element in particular, I do agree. I think it feels the most ring hollow false. As opposed to like all the other sort of big Hollywood things we're talking about feel over the top sincere. Like, it feels <laughs> like we're just going full bore with it. And it feels like the Dan Delano stuff is like, oh, this is like a contractual obligation. We have to have a romance in here. And it feels like so <laughs> I, No, absolutely. Absolutely. My brother and I, to this day, when either of us achieve anything of any sort of note, it could be the stupidest, simplest thing. We'll literally go, you're the one, brother. <laughs> For no reason. Because how fucking Hollywood the dialogue is. It's so, it's such drivel. Yeah, and, you you guys would have fit right into this movie. It, but it is the, the the dialogue is so cliche and stereotypical and everything. But it's just it's delivered with such panache. Yeah, by most of the actors, you're like, yeah, I'm totally into it. 
Like, it doesn't even bother me. That's totally fine. It's perfectly composed in that Hollywood sort of way where, like, even when, like, the four brothers are, like, going to the OK Corral shootout, mm-hmm. and they're all, like, in the perfect formation of, and like, all four of them. beautiful black shoulders. A big thing we should talk about is the fact that I think the sort of sense of place here, as compared to, say, like, a blood ring, where both are both <laughs> shot on, like, clearly, like, these old western ranches, where they sure. shot a bunch of these westerns in Hollywood. Um, but it feels like in Tombstone, at the very least, like, they treat this environment like it's an actual real environment mm-hmm. as much as they can with the facade of it versus in blood rain it's like this is what we have and this is our location and we don't really give a shit we can get look at all <laughs> like a place people live take right, it away there you go right uh and one thing too doc gives virgil his cane yes and virgil gives doc a shotgun how is that a fair fucking trade? <laughs> <laughs> they're, walking to, they're walking to a gunfight virgil's walking up there with a cane what are you going to do with that shit? What the fuck is that? But again, what a, what an iconic scene, the four of them walking up side by side. I mean, it's so fucking cool. Some of the shots in this movie are beautiful. Like when they're riding across the fucking plains and this the stormy sky or the awesome scene where it's fucking, I think it's Doc coming down the hill and it's just him and he's double gun. Boom, 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 boom. Or Wyatt shooting the fucking double barrel and the smoke is just billowing out of it. I mean, it, there's some really cool scenes in this, especially for a Western. My favorite particular shot of the whole movie is when uh, you have Michael Bean down there and he thinks that's going to be Wyatt. And you can see a shadowy figure and then it comes back into the light and you see that it's Doc Holliday. That is, it's a phenomenal entrance. It's maybe the best entrance anyone's ever had in a movie <laughs> into a scene. Oh, it's so good. Well, I didn't think you were going to show. I'll be a huckleberry at this time it's legal it's so good yeah and and even since like the whole thing's just like oh um remember I believe last time we met you were um trying to start something I was just fooling I wasn't yeah I was just fooling I wasn't yeah right it's like all right, longer (laughs) god damn it it's so good I'm gonna watch this when we're done I'm gonna rewatch it (laughs) what would you guys say is sort of like the iconic sort of western moment for you all what would you say is like sort of the big like oh this feels like a definitive western especially of like the recent last like 30 or so years i've just i really loved all the long shots like where you were you, you had the the cinematography where they they would show you kind of like the ranch or they would show you the town or they would show you the setup again it just we, we've watched a lot of older school westerns for the for the podcast this just really took me back to a lot of those really old ones especially the black and white i now, in this viewing, I was just watching it and kind of imagining everything in black and white. When uh, uh, the the character pulls out the gun and starts doing all the fancy, you yeah. know, the fancy gun work and stuff like that, and he does the same with his little whiskey cup there. I mean, there's just there's a lot of great moments in this, but for me, it was just kind of like the the overall the movie and and just they completely took me back and hit the nostalgia bug for me big time on this one for old school western. Well, I would even say, like, I wouldn't necessarily say the black and white comparison as much as this feels like a perfect movie where, like, if you're going to sh- present it in any other format, it would be, like, the early Technicolor. Like, sort of the era yeah. of, like, the, sure. the late sure. 50s, early 60s kind of Westerns look, where it's, like, got a bit of green to it. Like, I think it would work perfectly in that kind of way. For me, it's the opening. Right off the bat. Yeah. Uh, where they slaughter this town. There's a wedding going on. They kill the priest. Oh, yeah. You know, you know these fuckers are mean business. There's some bad guys. There's some bad men. And you know they mean business right off the bat. And I think it's such a cool idea to start with them. 
And I also think the introduction of Doc Holliday in this movie is one of my favorite introductions of character. Billy Bob Thornton comes running up on Wyatt with that shotgun. All of a sudden you hear, well, Johnny Doc, where are you going with that shotgun? And then they go through this whole conversation like, oh, I'm sorry. I completely forgot you were there. <laughs> you may go. Oh, you wow. may go. <laughs> yes. <laughs> He's like, and he just humiliated. And then it's like, leave the shotgun. Thank you. <laughs> like, <laughs> That's a like, great thank scene, you, man. Thank you. Great scene. I love it. I fucking love it. And anything, basically, anything with Doc Holliday in this movie, perfect. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, for me, I would say it's the it's the whole OK Corral, like actual oh, shootout. Like so we talk about the intro of that, but then the actual tension that's going on there feels like it's very much going off like a Serge Leone thing in particular. It's just that that's all phenomenal. I think it's just like it's a perfect example of how to do like a typical Western shootout and make it as we mentioned as elevated as possible. Fucking lol from wings. <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, but I think it's time we go ahead and go into our final thoughts then on Tombstone. Our guest, Lance, your final thoughts. Yeah, man, like I said, favorite Western of all time. Um, top ten films of all time. Uh, the only Western that, that touched me as much as this one did was The Man Who Shot Liberty Valance. Oh, because so that was a great uh, Jimmy Stewart uh, juxtaposing against uh, a badass John Wayne. This one kind of gave you a whole bunch of characters that showed you all the different ways that you can behave in the Wild West. You, you've got the baddest of the bad men. You've got the the good, the best of the good men. And yes, is it super Hollywoodized? Absolutely. And do I love that? Fuck yeah, I'm a movie fan. So gold standard for me, best Western of all time. Adam? Uh, you know, I agree with most of what Lance just said. It's not my favorite Western of all time, but it's easily in my top five. Uh, my number one is probably the outlaw Josie Wales. Uh, I just absolutely love the movie. Like the Searchers is in there, Unforgiven's in there. You know, there's a, quite a few good movies, but I will find myself watching Tombstone more than I would watch those on a rewatch. Uh, there's just something inherently fun and exciting about Tombstone. It hits all the right buttons for the most part. Uh, I'd argue against maybe like the the romantic angle. I think it's fucking terrible but i think anything else you could want in a movie i think this movie's got it there for you uh i think it's an absolutely fantastic uh film and a pitch perfect example of a hollywood western uh i thought silverado might have been the standard but i think as far as hollywood eyes westerns um i mean i i would definitely say especially of sort of like the later uh westerns like the more modern like last 30 years or so westerns i would say it's one of my favorites I mean, if I'm talking about, like, an absolute favorite, I would probably say something more in the line of, like, a good, the bad, and the ugly, or even in terms of, like, very Hollywood Western, which Casting the Sundance Kid, I would say, is probably like, okay. the best example of that kind of, like, so very God Hollywoodized Western with, like, especially the dialogue that feels like, oh, it's just coming off perfectly from these particular, you know, people. Um, at, Still, I would still say, despite, like, me being, I guess, slightly the downer, on Tombstone, I would still say it's a great movie. I think it's a lot of fun. I think it just is a bit, like, choppy in certain places. I think it probably also helps that, along with, like, George P. Cosmatos kind of being the sort of credit director, Kurt Russell apparently had a lot of sort of, like, kind of puppeteering behind the scenes kind of thing as a producer to kind of, like, make it work together as much as it did. Which I think makes it overall, like, it's kind of messy, but in a way that's still mostly endearing. I do agree about the Danny Delaney stuff, I think, is really just... I think it would, like sour me less if that wasn't the last scene of the fucking movie <laughs> if it didn't end on this like oh we're dancing in the snow it's like 
when is the movie where people got holes shot in them pretty big like like five minutes ago <laughs> this is like about 10 minutes ago we had that whole michael bean death scene <laughs> yeah and that looking... and that snowman looked like it was really made on a soundstage right yeah yeah they're very perfectly quaffed like if they're about to shoot like a fucking christmas commercial right afterward right. um it, it felt a bit like that but still it's a lot of fun if nothing else just all the people in it right down to even the movies initially narrated by fucking robert mitchum I know, and it's so good. Why didn't he narrate more films? It's perfect. Oh, no, he has the perfect voice for it, yeah, for sure. So, I mean, it's, it's definitely, it's it fits perfectly, especially as, like, I can see why it became such a cable staple. Why I, like, flipped through so many channels and saw so many clips to the point where I thought I'd seen this movie. Because it is eminently watchable, and especially, like, sort of, like, that three-hour span with commercials. This mm-hmm. totally feels, it's a, it's a perfect cable movie. Oh, uh, dude, TBS like, Superstation played the fuck out of this movie. Yeah, right. Like, it, it definitely... <laughs> It's a shining example of one of those, for sure, yeah. And, uh, like, and you know, it is, if nothing else, Val Kilmer is perfect in it. It may be the best performance. Like, this and Kiss Kiss Bang Bang are, like, his two greatest performances, for sure. That would say. Agreed. Like, ah, agreed. Um, but, yeah, that is the end of our discussion of our two movies. We'll be picking our movies for next week's particular episode, so stay tuned for that. But uh, before we uh, get to that point, we do have some feedback to read. Because we share over on Facebook and Twitter our calls to action in terms of like, hey, what are your favorite examples, audience, of, you know, whatever topic we're doing? And so we asked you all about Westerns, or your, like, favorite and least favorite ones. And we got a few people, including James Rodriguez, who says, The proposition is thought is a thoughtful story told in grisly and unforgettable. As this grimy world is filled out in exceptional ways, um, and Blazing Saddles is a laugh-out-loud uh, concoction of pitch-perfect timing, brilliant performances, and a refusal to adhere to any limitations. I also adore the Ballad of Buster Scruggs, an anthology with, in my opinion, not a weak link among the stories. Uh, of Netflix westerns, it's preferable to The Ridiculous Six, the film most notable for casting Vanilla Ice as Mark That's Twain. That's not a fair comparison. Probably not, no. Uh, Bill Gabriel says, Love Silverado, great throwback western with a perfect cast. Uh, Nate Thomas says, nice. Favorites, The Original Magnificent Seven, Unforgiven, The True Grit Remake, Django Unchained, Tombstone, Silverado, Outlaw Josie Wales, Good, The Bad, Negley, and Young Guns. For Bad, Hateful Eight, Wild Wild West, The Lone Ranger, Wyatt Earp, Cowboys and Aliens, Guilty Pleasure, Shanghai Noon. Um, and then our Rachel Hillis says, Favorites include True Grit, Hateful Eight, Little Big Man, and like James, I also adore Buster Scruggs. His favorite is probably Hostiles, which was admittedly stylish, but super dull. Gary Rivard says, uh, Tombstone is greater than Wyatt Earp. Uh, James C. Robertson says, Favorites, Tombstone, Bone Tomahawk, Young Guns, Wyatt Earp, and The Quick and the Dead. Uh, Will Torres says, All Sergio Leone's are the top tier. Uh, the Good, the Bad, and the Uggo. Uh, Once Upon a Times and all that shit. Um, if you don't want all the good spaghetti, and want some good old-fashioned American John Wayne shit, Rio Bravo is totally adorbs. Uh, the worst, I don't know, probably a million ways to die in the West. Something stupid like that, I guess. Um, and Amanda Leonard says, uh, favorite Silverado, um, El Dorado, Tombstone, uh, The Sons of Katie Elder, The Original True Grit, Good Man and the Ugly, and Night of the Grizzly. Um, it takes place in a sort of Western time frame, although it's no Cowboys. Uh, pretty much anything of John Wayne is a favorite, even if it's just nostalgia from watching them with my dad. Um, and don't think I've seen any that I've disliked, uh, so I can't say necessarily I would have any worsts. Um, and Craig Young says, Tombstone for sure, one of my all-time faves. 
Um, but yeah, I mean, a lot of great ones were mentioned there. Uh, Lance, any ones that maybe weren't mentioned for like either good or bad that you'd want to spotlight? No, I just, I, I really do love all the Clint Eastwood stuff. Um, especially the man with no name trilogy. Those were, those were like some of my favorite ones that we've covered. Other than that, I'm, I'm, I don't know, man, I guess I'm old school. I guess I'm fucking old. I, I really love the old <laughs> black and white shit. <laughs> and, you know, Say what you will about John Wayne. Some of his political views are kind of problematic and whatnot, but uh, God damn it, he could carry a movie. You he's know, John any Wayne. way you look at it. He's John Wayne. He's up there with Elvis as far as an icon. Uh, there you go. You know, like I said already, The Outlaw Josie Wales is one of my favorites. Uh, no, actually, I think it is my favorite Western. I, I don't know why. Just something about that movie. Uh, the Searchers is yes. almost perfection. I mean, Ex- it's almost film perfection. Mm-hmm. Uh, to the point where I believe it's Spielberg who makes any cast of any movies doing Watch the Searchers before they film. Like, I'm not a huge John Wayne fan necessarily, but The Searchers is the one I would definitely it's, stop. I just like his oh, best. Oh, fuck, yeah. it's so good. You know, Shane is really good. I mean, there's a lot of great, great westerns. Uh, just unfortunately, you know, it's the same thing with like, uh, I mean, guys, it's the same thing we're doing with the, the comic book movies now. There was an era where Westerns were so mass produced to where so many of them got lost in the fray because there were so, so many of them. You know, uh, I, I agree with the quick and the dead. I think it's good. I, I like the the original True Grit. I really do like the True Grit remake. Yeah. Uh, but I, I, I think we were on to something earlier with the neo-Western sort of idea, like, you know, with Hell or High Water or No Country for Old Men or movies like that. I mean, there are still great movies that use sort of the Western s- sort of technique or the, you know, outline. And there's a lot you can do with it. I, I think that's what we're seeing. We're seeing experiments and we're seeing things done. Like even some, you know, noir films or new sci-fi films use sort of a Western sort of uh, aesthetic. You the know, done well. Exactly. Uh, the Mandalorian is nothing if not a Western. There were even some of those from like around the era Westerns were particularly popular. that kind of like been pushed aside that I think deserve more attention. Like I've been watching especially sort of a lot more um, when I was doing research a particular episode. They're like kind of like the underrated ones. I would mm-hmm. say in particular one that doesn't have cowboys necessarily in but has like old prospectors and has like that old West sort of era to it is uh, Treasure of the Sierra Madre, which I recently watched phenomenal movie i love that movie so much and it's like all about like just people digging for gold in that particular era in time and there's no cowboys but there's bandits and also it has like probably my favorite humphrey bogart performance in it where he goes like fucking crazy he just like goes full-on crazy in that movie it's great and um also another one that's on prime in particular um johnny guitar oh my god is um basically it's a movie where you think it's going to be about the titular johnny guitar who is uh sterling hayden like in a bunch of those like older like sort of era western movies but it's really about the um person who owns this particular saloon that johnny's working for his former flame played by joan crawford and she's a no, badass sure. like female okay. character in one of these the particular westerns of the air like it's, it's from 1954 i believe wow and it's, okay. and it's fucking awesome and it's like that great like i mentioned technicolor three strip kind of thing mm-hmm. and ernest borgnine's in a lot of great western character actors are in there it's a great movie. Great movie. Very underrated. I've never seen it, man. I'm 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 in. Some other ones that maybe fit more traditionally, like uh, you know, we mentioned the Man with No Name trilogy, but I would also say Suzuki Leone's uh, Once Upon a Time in the West with Bronson. Oh, 
Uh, I mean, that's a masterpiece. You so have four hours to spare. It, I mean, that's a masterpiece. I mean, all those movies that were super long, like Good, yeah. Bad, and the Ugly is not too much <laughs> shorter. Oh, I mean, you could go like She Wore a Yellow Ribbon, Real Bravo. I mean, they're all long movies. But yeah, Once Upon a Time in the West, fuck, what a good movie. My favorite Bronson performance. He's so great, and he doesn't and he doesn't say a fucking word in that movie. Death Wish 3. Death well, Wish 3. We, we have talked about Death Wish 3. Yeah. You got a wish. What's about a time with the waist? <laughs> but you know, I also, if you want, like maybe a more recent one, it's also a bit shorter. I'd recommend Slow West, which is the one with Fastbender. Oh, I never seen that one. It's a very good one. It's very. It almost feels like it's the Wes Anderson kind of like stylized western. Um, in a way, I think it's quite entertaining. And I think it's very brisk, like I mentioned. Um, that one's very good. I mean, I liked the Three Ten to Yuma remake. I thought it was yes. pretty good. Yeah, remake better than the uh, original, I'd say. Yeah, I, I think so. The Sisters Brothers is pretty good. And even Ballad of Buster Scruggs was mentioned as a more like a I, recent you know, one. That's a lot of fun. It's fun. It's fun. I don't think that every segment is perfect, mm-hmm. but it's fun. I did watch the whole fucking thing, and, and I was entertained. Even on the Coheny spectrum, I think mean, the remake that I personally say it's better than the original is True Grit. Oh, I think God, the, the remake so of True Grit is such a perfectly constructed movie. Oh, absolutely. And, and it's so, so and, good. And it's no offense to the original John Wayne one, which is still very well done. And I'll be honest, I, I was definitely one of the people who were like, are you remaking fucking True Grit? It's, she's Rooster Cogburn, you know, fucking. So I was very upset. Uh, and then I didn't give it its chance when I first saw it. And then I've rewatched it probably within the last six months to a year. And it's so good. Mm-hmm. It's so good. It's easily better. That's another one, too, uh, uh, that we forgot. The Shootist uh, with John Wayne is, is pretty good. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a pretty good the one, aging, The aging hero, right? Yep, that's a, The Shootist is pretty awesome. Or you know, even another one with like a middling of problematic star that I think is just a lot of fun, The 90s Maverick. Very fun movie. I fucking love Maverick. I mean, it stars a fucking horrible person, but it's a <laughs> great movie. Yeah. Good call on that one. Now... There's some bad ones that weren't mentioned. The Magnificent Seven remake is atrocious. Oh, not good. I kind of liked it. I kind of liked it, damn it. Appaloosa is not very good with uh, Ed Harris and Viggo Mortensen. I wanted to like it so much, but it's so boring. But another one that, uh, you know, a lot of people, it's gotten its fans now, and I think it's well-deserved, is The Assassination of Jesse James by the coward Robert Ford mm-hmm. with uh, Brad Pitt and Casey Affleck. It's so fucking good. It's one of the best shot movies I've ever seen in my life. And, you know, I would say, um, I think another great example of kind of like remaking something, at least not in a movie, but they turned the movie into a TV show. And I would say say the uh, the original Westworld movie, I'm not a big fan of. Oh my I God. Dig Fuck the, you. The, no, the no, 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 wait, wait, wait. Yes. What? Yeah, it, I think the original movie's really fucking boring and dull. It's a great idea that aside from Yul Brenner, honestly, I don't really give a shit about that not original movie. Not much to movie. it, huh? No, I think I think it's just kind of dull, and it goes I on love for a while. Westworld so much, <laughs> as opposed to I think at least the first season of the TV show, I think did an incredible job of taking the idea and turning it into something a lot more interesting. I'll yeah. give you the, the first, first six episodes of the TV show. I would say the whole first season. I don't know about the second season. Really lost me. I, I would agree. Mm-hmm. I, I totally. dropped off in the second season. And I'll never come back. The end of it. Probably the not. end of the first season got super predictable for me, though. Really. Yeah, like the first six episodes, maybe seven episodes, I'm like, this is fucking awesome. 
And once the thing with Jeffrey Wright happened, I'm like, uh, of course. I mean, and it's predictable, it just... but I would say it's not necessarily badly executed at the same time. I think that's the thing that I liked about that first season is while I could kind of guess certain things at the same time, I didn't guess how it would emotionally like hit me with like the Jeffrey yeah, Wright character. It's really, or... it was good. Ed Harris is awesome. In it. And, and Anthony Hopkins, it's one of his favorite performances in a while. It's really good. Yeah, yeah, yeah but but yeah, and even some of the bad ones that were mentioned, like uh, the Cowboys and the Aliens, I would say almost oh, that one's oh. more disappointing to me than like a Wild Wild West in terms of, like or like it hits me harder for me just because like that's such a cool idea of like oh man Cowboys versus Aliens like that title sells so much and the the cast is so good. Well, that too, and it's John Favreau. I know you think off Iron Favreau Man. would do better. Daniel Craig. And yeah. Harrison Ford, you're like, oh mm-hmm. my god, this is going to be something awesome. And it's also based on a comic book? Holy fuck, dude, you already proved you could do it with Iron Man, and then he does this, and you're like, what? Yeah. It's so boring. Made you pine for the days of Iron Man 2. <laughs> yeah, it's not even necessarily a bad movie. It's just a boring movie. So dull. So It's very dull. Uh, but, but yeah, so, uh, thank you all for that feedback, and of course we want to thank, uh, Chris Oliver for the intro and after music used in our show. You can listen to him, um, in his music over at, uh, chrisoliver.bandcamp.com. Thanks to Emily Scarter for the art that's provided for our show, and of course, thanks to Mr. Lance Langford for being our guest here. Lance, plug yourself, Horror Returns, Saddle Up, right? Yeah, no, I appreciate it, man. Yeah, Horror Returns, but we're here for Saddle Up, which... You can find all the Horror Returns feed on iTunes or anywhere else, and about every other week we do a show. So there. There. There you go, Mormons. Take it. Fucking listen to it, you sons of bitches. <laughs> <laughs> if you know what you want to find us in our Rinky Dink show, uh, you can find us on Twitter and Facebook at DEDVPod, or you can email us stuff at doubleedgedoublebill at gmail.com, all spelled out. And, uh, you know, if you have the money to spare necessarily, and even in these trying times, if you have just $1 to spend a month, uh, you can follow us on patreon.com slash dedbpod. Um, that's where we post stuff, including uh, right now you can listen to our exclusive podcast all about the HBO Watchmen series. Uh, that'll be up there for you all to gleam at, and we'll have some polls and stuff where you can choose... So, yeah, great series as we talk about great it. Great series. Maybe, maybe uh, if you're feeling a little depressed right now, maybe skip watching it. What though. are you talking oh, about? No. There's no relevance at all <laughs> to the Watchmen <laughs> series right now. It's great. Um, but uh, And that's also available on the ESO Patreon. If uh, you're uh, you know listening to us through ESO, uh, you can listen there. And then maybe you know uh, transport some of the money over there if you feel so generous. Um, and uh, speaking of ESO, you can uh, listen to me. I was on the recent Earth Station 1 podcast that should be up where we talk about our favorite stories of hope. You know, we times. Yeah, we, we talked about that. It was a lot of fun doing that with uh, Mike Gordon, Mike Faber, and Tacoma. Um, I apologize if I didn't get your last name earlier, um, but it was a lot of fun being on there. And you can also listen to Adam and I. This came out a couple weeks ago, uh, but we hadn't mentioned it, that uh, we talk with the Friday Nightmares people, Scott Crawford and Heather Powell, and we do a commentary on Scream 3. That's up there for you to <laughs> listen to us. <laughs> oh, man. It's, uh, it's something. It sure is something. Hey, it's direct- directed by Wes Craven. How bad can it be? Very bad <laughs> is the answer to that question. <laughs> um, and, uh, you know, for more of my individual antics, you can find me at Not the Who's Tommy on Twitter. Um, and Instagram, and I also do some writing at places like marianithomas.wordpress.com or twosuperherofans.com and uh, you can find Adam 
How you know over at the OK Corral just waiting for a gunfight? That's about the best you can get out of me nowadays. I'm I'm off fucking social media. I'm not doing it. But yeah, I, I, I'm around. If you want to find me, you can find me. You can find our Huckleberry Adam over here uh, by, you know, getting it with him directly or subscribing to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and other podcasting platforms. If you're listening on the ESO Network, why not dig into the archives on our Podbean channel for all the episodes that before we even posted on there. And uh, if nothing else, if you could just either rate, review, or simply share the show around, it gives us more visibility. Yeah, fuckers. And so now, Adam, before we hit that lonesome trail, we got to do our picking for next week, which, uh, you know, a bit of change of plans. Uh, we originally announced on our social media platforms we were going to do Meryl Streep as a topic, um, but we you know, decided, like, admittedly, we've done a lot less sort of, like, uh, you know, actress or female-focused, like, sort of topics, which is something we want to kind of, like, do a better job at. But we kind of realized, like, you know, we also especially haven't done any actresses of color as a topic, and we decided to kind of change things up a bit, and uh, we decided instead to do a whole show focused on the lovely and highly underrated Angela Bassett. Yeah, buddy. Should have been stolen. Oh, 100% agree, yeah. For sure on that. Um, and uh, you have the two good picks, and you've assigned each of those number between 1 and 10 per our usual gimmick. And yes. I've done the same for my two bad picks from her filmography. And so now Lance gets to do the... Uh, pick in here, so uh, go ahead and draw, Lance, and uh, what do you pick for Adam's Too Good, number two, one and ten? Oh, man, number ten, one and ten, let's go with, kind of in the middle, number six. Okay. At number eight, I have uh, the biopic What's Love Got to Do With It? Ah, okay. okay. The Tina Turner film, obviously, starring a fucking terrifying Lawrence Fishburne. You know, that's one actually I have not seen, despite all the sort of oh, things around it, yeah. At number one, I had Boys in the Hood. Great movie. Oh, fucking okay. so good. God That's damn it. The movie, yeah. Well, for my two bad picks, Lance, number two, one and ten. Oh, uh, let's go with two on that one. Okay. At number three, I have a movie I would argue she is very good in, but is still quite bad. Um, even though it is directly a vehicle for Eddie Murphy. It's Vampire oh. in Brooklyn. Oh, no. From oh, no. Wes Craven as well. You can't I get away from fucking knew it, man. Oh. Ouch. So from Scream 3 to Vampire in Brooklyn, you guys are covering the gamut here. That's so bad. And then number eight, I had one that I haven't seen, but I know it was an infamous really bad bomb, uh, is uh, Supernova. Oh, I knew it. Okay. Well. Uh, are we in better shape with Vampire in Brooklyn than Supernova? I don't know. You're okay. You'll, you'll get a few laughs for sure. Sure. From no, that movie? I don't of course. think that's true. I don't think that's true at all. I think you'll get a few laughs. We'll see. Oh boy. Okay. So you what's guys got to show. do with it at Vampire in Brooklyn? You guys are doing the show, not me. So enjoy. Well, I don't know. For that, we might fucking make you have to come back on, you piece of shit. <laughs> well, you know we're gonna have to chase him down our horses at him. Let's ride. Don't you touch my mare. <laughs>
This has been a broadcast of the ESO Network. Be part of the crew and help support our shows by donating to our ESO Patreon or by shopping through Amazon.com or the Tee Public Store, which can all be found at www.esonetwork.com. The ESO Network, your station for all things geek. Thank you.